Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 271 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. How are you? Well, I'm feeling a little like a little confused today because we're talking <laughs> about school. We're thinking about school and the decisions that we're making for the fall. Um, and it's just been an interesting conversation so far. So we actually started this topic last week mm-hmm. um, and we actually had 12 of our listeners call in and l- like just kind of let us know about their experiences and what they're facing. You know, some people are going to be going back to school pretty soon. Some like me aren't for another couple of months, but just kind of got some perspectives from people all across the country saying what is going on with them, like what decisions they're facing, what um, what it's going to look like, what school's going to look like for their kids if they end up going. And um, I think it's probably a good idea to listen to that episode first yeah. before this one, just because we're using it as kind of a jumping off point. It's kind of the state of the, you know, the state of the union yeah. as it will, as you will. And then this episode, we're really going to talk, we're going to dig in a lot on the tone around all this, like how hard these decisions are, um, kind of like, kind of going back in time to that episode we did, what was it, back in April? May, when we I think. talked yeah. May, okay. When we talked about how the country was starting to slowly reopen and people were making these really hard decisions about how to handle distancing with their families, whether they were going to go to restaurants, whether they were going to do play dates, stuff like that in the future and how much judgment and insecurity um, there was around those choices. I feel like we're right back there again. Only now the topic is school and it's been a hot, hot topic on my social feeds um, and among my friends for sure. Yeah. This is so interesting. Um, I, because we relocated this summer, um, I was particularly dialed in and trying to trying to learn about the school systems that I was coming up into in Santa Barbara. And so I I told you this offline, but I was like doing really deep dives into uh, articles about schools reopening and edu- articles by educators and pediatricians about a week before it hit the national conversation. And I was doing it for my own. It was interesting to me. I'm sure I was trying to like predict or control like I typically do. And I was, and I was entering two new schools for my kids. And then all of a sudden, school reopening was national news, you know, several days ago and, and has stayed that way. So we are living through truly unprecedented times. And we kind of, we use that phrase a little tongue in cheek because it's so overused <laughs> yes. right now. But um, I find it interesting that national conversations around things like childcare, um, kids, mental health, education and learning, which are so core and central and fundamental to parenting and to moms and motherhood so they're things that I'm interested in anyway, but all of a sudden, literally everybody's talking about them. Like yes. they're, they are national news stories. Um, so I, I don't know what quite to say about that, except it's very, it's, it's interesting that what, what, where we send our kids in just a few weeks is something that all of a sudden it seems like the whole country is interested in and has opinions about. And yet it's still a very personal 
conversation in our homes and yeah. with our families. So, yeah, it really is. And, and I think it's very interesting when you look at the fact that for better or for worse, we live in an economy that has been kind of created around schools being yes. there <laughs> um, and being a place for kids to go during the day so that single parent families can work um, and so that double income families can, can both work or upset both people can work. And I think now we're seeing the cracks in what mm -hmm. happens when the option of doing that safely or economically feasibly goes away. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's so, um, yeah, you're right. It's a huge conversation and not one. I'm not an economist. No, nope. no, nope. not, I'm not an infectious disease specialist. I'm not an economist. I'm not a public education expert. Yeah. Um, but we are the experts in our own homes and mm -hmm. we have to make decisions that feel good for us while also weighing these broader decisions. And that, that can be really, really hard. It, it can be really hard. And, um, we've talked many times on this show about being judicious about your circle of influence. You know, the, on the one mm. extreme we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I was like obsessed with Twitter for a couple of weeks. Then I had to get off cause it was stressing me out. But <laughs> so that's like, you know, there are times when we kind of want we listen to the entire internet. And then at the other extreme, um, you know, it's you and your co-parent, if you have one and your individual family unit making the best decision for your family. And then there's some, there's usually something in the middle, right? We have our trusted sources for information. We hopefully have a group of mom friends that we can talk honestly with. And hopefully, ideally you have, you know, people around you who are making different decisions, but doing so with love and empathy and support for one another. I mean, that's kind of like my wish for all moms, but yes, when the stakes get so high, um, depending on where you are in that, you might feel very isolated right now and you don't know anybody and you don't have that tribe. You might be consuming all of the news and the social media fire hose and feel very overwhelmed on that end of the spectrum, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. So I think our goal for today is just to work through this together um, with, an, with an emphasis, as always, on broadening our own capacity for empathy for other parents. And I think both of us, Megan, we need that for ourselves, too. We're not, yeah. neither of us is like, you know, a saint when it comes to feeling feelings of judgment or like feeling like what we're doing is the right way. And we're just being asked right now to like challenge that at every turn, I think. And it's hard. Yes. Yep. It's it is. Hard. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. 
Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, so we're going to dive into like what the issues on the table are in a minute here that we're all dealing with. But I guess, again, I want to get in my time machine and go back um, a couple of months to the episode we did about judgment and mom mm-hmm. shaming and reiterate like what I feel was like one of the key points from that whole episode, which is that parenting decisions are hard enough already. Mm-hmm. And when you're faced with a choice where none of them, like none of the decisions are that great or have been established as the best, mm-hmm. like there's no consensus about what the best thing is to do. Mm-hmm. It's even harder mm-hmm. because then you need to like really feel secure about your choice. So you end up kind of like doubling down on it. Mm-hmm. And you know, the flip side of doubling down of that coin can be judgment mm-hmm. or guilt, um, feeling judged or perceiving yourself as being judged, even if maybe you're not. So I just want to put it out there that like, we don't, even if you feel great again, like we've said before, even if usually you're a parent who's super confident and you feel great about assessing risk and you feel great about making decisions for your family right now. Some of that ability to do that with super confidence is yeah. not there. It doesn't I, exist. I agree. I agree. And the thing that came up for me as I was thinking about that past episode as well is we have a habit as moms of thinking that other people are super secure in their decisions because like I said last week, you see that tip of the iceberg, you see the choice they've made to send their kid, to not send their kid, to, you know, to enroll in an online virtual academy. And you're, it, it can appear from the outside like they that other family feels 100% secure, confident, and excited about their decision. What you don't see is the self-doubt that's happening under that other roof. You know what I mean? So for some reason, we think we have all of the uncertainty and everybody else is super secure in their choices. And we've seen that in new motherhood, right? Questions about sleeping and feeding and what kind of stroller to buy. It just, for some reason, we make the assumption that everybody else has it figured out and we're the only ones kind of waffling. And that's, we just, we have to believe that's not true. Everybody is waffling. We know it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Right now, every, you're so right, Sarah, but right, everybody is conflicted. Yeah. Like everyone I know, I don't really know anyone, um, the chatter around here that feels 100% great about any of the choices on the table. So so let's talk about like, what is, like, what are the issues du jour, right? Um, we talked last episode about what it, what school may look like mm-hmm. um, for our kids in the fall, but we really didn't talk too much about how we feel about those options, yeah. um, what the downsides and negatives are. So I guess I'll go first and just throw some out. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing a lot, and, and I'll also talk about how some of these feel for me. Like we hear a lot about the worries about kids falling behind or not getting socialized if they're not in school. Um, and then on the flip side, there's this conversation happening about safety. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what about teachers getting sick? What about kids getting sick? Um, logistically, like, what ha- like what happens if, and I will say I have not seen this, an- this question answered really anywhere um, concretely, what happens if someone tests positive? Does that mean everyone that kid came in contact with is now quarantined? Does that mean if is this, the teacher is quarantined, does that mean they have to bring in subs? Where are all these subs magically going to come from? Uh-huh. So there's like, there's all these questions on the table that again, make even the best plan. So like start to seem a little pie in the sky. And, um, like I had mentioned about wanting to do virtual, I would rather just know, like, I would rather just know how the year is going to go. Um, my other concern, and we, we will definitely delve more into mental health, but my other concern for someone like Clara, she really didn't do well with virtual last Mm -hmm. um, semester. And just because I know my kid uh, and she's in sixth grade and not like in, you know, 11th grade, I'm way more concerned with her mental well-being at the age of 11 going on 12 than her education. I just am like, I, I don't, I don't think that's something that is often great in middle schoolers anyway. Like it's really tough. It's a tough time of life. And I don't want to pile on the toughness by her having to feel like she's very on on camera all day or for her to feel like she's very on in school with a mask on and not understanding how to navigate that. So I may decide virtual is not a good option for her either. Like Mm -hmm. that that might be off the table. And then I feel bad because I'm taking money away from my school district. (laughs) So it's like, 
it's a very, it, it doesn't really feel like there's much, much winning going on. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I think, um, since we, since we've brought up the topic of, you know, judgment and criticism, I think one of the things that makes this so difficult is what different families are solving for, what their highest priorities are, um, are all important. So I'll just name a few, um, having reliable childcare so that you can work full time is extremely important. It, it does not affect every family the same. If you work from home flexibly, or if one parent is able to stay home, it's not going to be the highest priority, but it might be for the family next door. Um, health right. and safety and actual COVID exposure is, uh, I, b- I believe we'd all say is, is very important to us and our communities. It's going to be more critical to families that have an immunosuppressed person living in their home or a grandparent or a grandparent is the child care. Um, learning and academics and not falling behind, you mentioned, again, I think we can all agree is important. It's going to have a heightened importance for a child who gets support for learning differences at school or for um, a kid who's, you know, on the verge of their next big, like, you know, a junior who's applying to elite colleges or something. There's there's scenarios in which the academics and the academic support kind of become the driver. Um, and then, you you know, social and mental health, same thing. So it's like, We can all agree all of these things are important, but what makes this so difficult is that each family may have shuffled those things. And and actually within the same family, like you mentioned for Clara, within the same family, you're sort of shuffling the order of those priorities according to each kid in each situation, which then, like you said, then it's all kind of terrible because we can't, we can't (laughs) solve it all. We can't, it's really hard. Um, I can just maybe talk a little bit about the what those maybe priority is the wrong word, but what those kind of rocks are for my kids and and how they see them. Um, I was distance learning was really difficult for my youngest in first grade last year, Um, fairly difficult for my middle who was in fourth and then pretty good for my sixth grader who already did a lot um, on her computer. A lot of her classes, they had been in person, of course, but they turned all their assignments in. They had this, they had this online platform that they were very familiar with. So that felt easiest. So for me thinking about fall, and I, I do kind of assume we're going to be distanced at this point. We're recording this July 17th. And last week I mentioned that in, in real time, my governor's about to make a big announcement. And I just think it's likely that we'll all be distanced. Um, but for me, I have different kind of priorities for each of the three kids. I want to make sure my younger two um, have the ability to make some friends and see some human bodies multiple times per week. And I'm hopeful that what with all we've learned about masking and social distancing, I'm hoping that I can have, you know, outdoor play dates, maybe with masks or maybe even without masks at an even farther distance. Um, I we were so shut in in the spring that it was almost like distance learning was one challenge, but lack of physical activity and social interaction was a compounding challenge. And I I really want to have that be different this fall for my kids. So I guess I'm saying that the social emotional part is a driver for all three of my kids, but especially the younger two, because it didn't it didn't go so great in the spring. So, Sarah, I'm curious because I agree those are very important things. And we're fortunate enough to have a small little bubble of people that my kids are doing outdoor play dates with um, pretty regularly. And I don't feel like my, like I, we have a, you know, a couple cousins and a few really close friends of Clara's and William has a couple close friends. Owen, I think is very lonely. Mm. Uh, I was, I sent you this morning yeah. some screenshots of a text cover. He's at his dad's right now. And I just asked him something this morning and he sent me like this long, like, like page after paragraph after paragraph of a description of a movie he just watched. It reminded me of when you're like five-year-old is trying to explain their like um, superhero play yes. to you yes. or the episode of whatever show they just watched or whatever. And you have to sit there and listen and listen and uh-huh. listen. This is exact. This was like the 14 year old's version it's of that. And it was, so cute. it was really cute and kind of touching. And then I thought, Oh no, I really thought about it. And I thought he's the one of my kids who besides his one cousin, and we just keep saying how grateful we are that Jack and Owen have each other. He's really not had a lot of contact. Um, with any of his school friends. And mm-hmm. he's always been the kind of kid. And I think you've described Reed this way too. Well, although you said that Reed had his little, like, little buddy gang. Yeah, um, he has two good buddies, but yeah. 
Yeah. Owen has friends who are school friends and he doesn't care that he doesn't see them that much when he comes mm, home. Like yeah. he switches out of school mode into home mode and then he has his brothers. And that's typically, I feel like been enough for him because he gets enough of that at school. Yeah. And then you take that away. He's starting to lose touch with those kids. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what's happening. Not seeing them, not being in the same classroom. He's not experiencing, they're, they're just not staying in touch. They're yeah. not staying close. Um, and so this is a very long-winded way of saying, if we don't, get to go back into the classroom. Um, how do we deal with that? Like yeah. how, how would you deal with that for Violet yeah. who is young and, and it's like, how is she just going to make friends online? Well, like I, yeah. it's not the same as the way that adults do this stuff. Yeah. Right. So I just wonder if you have any ideas well, or yeah. like, is there something you're thinking about? I've thought about it a lot cause we moved. So we have, we don't even right. have the old and we have nobody and, and Violet to be honest, didn't have super tight friendships in her kindergarten and first grade. She had little friends and we did some play dates, but she hadn't clicked in yet to a group or one buddy. So moving didn't feel like taking her away from anything in particular, whereas for Reed, it did. Um, But she's got to be able to make new friends. And it's funny. She's she's very clingy to me, to mom. And we've talked about the comparisons to Clara at that age. Like I joke like I'm her best friend. She would prefer to just hang out with me all day. But developmentally, um. She is ready to start engaging in social groups. She'll be in second grade. She's seven and a half. That's often when friendships like really do start to blossom on their own. And it's not just who your mom's friend's kid is, but they really start to meet their own friends. And so it is something I've thought a lot about. And I'm hopeful that while it may be impractical for schools to operate normally, if we can control the community spread and and understand the the effectiveness of other measures like masking and social distancing. What I see is that I have a real responsibility as a parent, as the one who prompted this move to a new town to find us a couple of families that we, maybe I meet the moms online through the school, you know, somehow, and we start texting, but really make an effort to get outside with our kids and go on hikes or go to the beach when it's safe to do so. And, you know, I've talked about it. I'm a little, I can be a little lazy about that stuff because my kids they play well together. They go out in the yard, but I feel a renewed, you know, like it's, it's going to be one of my rocks this fall to make sure that I'm creating the environment for my kids to make friends. They might not make a bestie right away, but I don't want to sit at home all fall. Um, and then something else I was going to add about the olders too, and the falling behind academically. And I don't know how you feel about this with your high schoolers, but I've always been so much like, Summer is for free play, like give your brain Mm -hmm. a break. And my kids, you know, have done well academically. So I've been like almost a little soapboxy about how I don't think we need to do any summer learning or summer workbooks. And but this is, you know, we change our mind about stuff in the time of COVID. And I have really seen small examples of like spelling and handwriting and mental arithmetic in my older kids where I'm like, okay, how can we like... I don't. My sister said, yeah. Quinn is getting dumber. I, I mean, <laughs> I like, I, yeah. I'm gonna co. I'm gonna co-sign that in a couple of ways. In in some specific yeah. ways, mental math is like a muscle, right? Like, yeah, you doing, have to flex yeah, it, being yeah. able to um do you know to compute. And with youngers, if you're listening to this and you have little kids, you've probably heard me on my soapbox about so much of their learning comes from play and make believe and getting dirty outside. And I still I still thoroughly believe that. But there's a difference when we're talking about older kids who are engaged in academics and when we're talking about this. At one point, we thought this would be like an eight week break. Now we're talking about six months or nine months or 12 months. That changes how I feel about enrichment. So um, this summer we did a little bit of like what I called learning time. And I had the kids listening to a daily news podcast. I I picked a few activities that they could rotate through that were just slightly, slightly academic, like a typing program on the computer and some coding. And but um, I'm really going to be considering, you know, either purchasing or finding free enrichment as this goes on, maybe in just one subject or maybe one tutor or maybe getting creative. But it it is I guess my point is I've never been a parent who like really worried all that much about, quote unquote, enrichment outside of school. And I'm. I'm changing in that it is something I'm looking ahead to, especially for Allegra going into seventh grade. Cause I, I see the, I see the effect of being home, yeah. you know? So, yeah. 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 And I, I'm usually the same way. Like I'm usually summers are free and easy and easy going. And, and they've got, not only are they potentially going to be going into another situation like the fall or like the spring in the fall. Um, but they're already like, 
they're already dull. <laughs> they're yeah, already exactly. Dull because we did go so feral in the spring by necessity in my yeah. house and, yeah. and really just to keep us all kind of comfortable and not stressed. I mean, it was like really important, but I think you're right. And the way I'll probably handle it is to slowly ramp up and start getting, they have now, you know, they all have all these computer programs that they do all the time anyway that they're used to. I don't have to I don't have to learn how to get them on them. I don't have to vet them. Like the school mm-hmm. already has them. That's they're great. available. It's just up to me now to like make sure they're actually doing yeah. some of them and that kind of thing. Um, I want to dig in on, on two different things that you you mentioned. One being um, this, this idea of like, how are you going to help your kids meet other kids? And that that mm-hmm. is your responsibility. And this is kind of like one of those delicate things that I feel like, um, could potentially just be contentious and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not trying to be, but like, I think we're all going to have to be less scorched earth than we were last spring, even if the numbers look not great. And I, I guess the reason I say that is this is going to be with us for some time, mm-hmm. right? Like if we all just go back into our homes and literally don't see anybody for three months and our kids are on computers all day long, and have no like physical contact with any, or not even contact, but like, no, they don't see, like mm-hmm. you said, human bodies with their actual eyes outside. I don't feel good about that. Like, yeah. I don't feel good about the direction we're going to be going with an entire generation of kids if that's like where we stay. Yeah. And so I do feel like we're all going to have to maybe reassess our comfort with risk and how we handle it and maybe make some more difficult individual family decisions than we felt we could in the spring. And I, and I just hope that that's not like me sounding like I'm saying throw caution to the wind and everyone just go bump up against each other in a restaurant or something or a bar. Like that's not what I'm saying. But if, if your fall could be materially better because you hang out with two other families, yes. even though there's a risk incurred there to me, the greater risk is worse. So I don't, I don't take it that way at all, the way you explained it. And, and it's something I've observed in general. I don't think you're alone there. I mean, I guess if there's a hopeful part of me, it's that our public health messaging and our knowledge about the virus and spread has continued to improve. And we, we do know more, we have more data and we have more experience now about how to do things safely. And I think even, even those who wish to be cautious or who might have an at-risk family member, um, we're just more, we have, we've been through this. We're more experienced. Unfortunately, right. I wish we didn't have to be more experienced than we were when it felt like the only option was to truly stay home. I mean, I talked in our food episode a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago about how I didn't even order takeout for six weeks. Not, not because I was so afraid of getting the virus, but I tried it once and it didn't show up. And I just decided yep. like, well, I guess we don't do takeout. And now that seems so, so silly, but like, like silly. Well, right. But everything was so, everything was so like, I feel like the part of your brain and I like, I, I'm thinking about like a computer. There was the stuff that usually just hums in the background and doesn't, you don't hear it. It doesn't really take up a lot of space. Suddenly that stuff went to the foreground. Yeah. So like just going to the store, like I remember how fanatical I was for a while about, um, making sure, like I had hand sanitizer and I would sanitize my, um, my steering wheel uh-huh. before and after my car door, my shopping cart, uh-huh. um, not to mention my hands. And then I'd get home and basically like take a shower every yeah. time I'd been out. And I don't do that anymore. I mean, I, it's not that I don't think the risk is there. It's just, I'm wearing a mask. I'm very aware now of how much I'm touching things. I'm very aware of like when I'm you know, I make sure to sanitize my hands after I touch the credit card machine or whatever. Like I'm just, I've kind of figured it out. And those things are now receding. They're just becoming part of the background. You're so right. I I wouldn't go into Aldi. I didn't go into Aldi for four months because I couldn't (laughs) handle the idea of getting to the register and not knowing what to do about the bag thing. Like I just couldn't, like there was, it was just too much. And so now it doesn't like, I feel like I can do stuff again. Like we can do hard things again because- It's become a little more normal. It's taking up less memory and RAM. Yes. Um, in the brain. I think you're so, right. And I think you're right. Yeah. And I think um, I'm also reminded of my conversation with Dr. Aaron from our Voices episode this month, which she really did talk about the developmental delays is the wrong word. But the longer this progresses and the more that you keep that kids are kept out of their regular developmental milestones as it as it relates to 
socializing and being separating from mom and dad, for example, um, the more we're going to have to get creative. And she never said anything like you have to put them back in school. That was not that was not the tone of the conversation, but that we are going to have to consider what it's like for a seven and a half year old not to have played with friends since they were six and a half. That's a there is a developmental um, consequence to that. And and maybe it's the consequence that we have to accept and maybe it isn't, but it's a, it is a conversation that's going to be happening this fall. And I, just to circle back to what you said, I didn't take what you said as um, like a disregard for public health safety standards, but just simply like we have another layer to consider now because this is now a six month or a 12 month or an 18 month conversation and not a six week conversation like we thought we were having. So I didn't, right. I didn't take it that way. And I, and I think it's impossible not to move forward without those considerations. Um, it doesn't mean you have to decide to go to every birthday party or you may go through a season where you do decide that it's it's better for your family to stay locked down. But we're going to see people making personal risk assessment, assessments in the name of uh, mental health, in the name of the economy. And it's going to be uh, it's just going to be something that's happening. So I think it's important to talk about. Well, and I think maybe just to wrap up this segment, it, going back to the episode we had a few months ago, um, or two months ago, I guess, where I remember distinctly you saying, Sarah, even if you haven't left your house yet, even if you've completely followed, um, you know, t- and talking to listeners, like even if you're one of those people who has done everything the way you're supposed to, have been completely locked down, never leaves the house, at some point you're going to have to make a decision too. Like, yeah, some people were starting to make them then. And some people were hanging back, but at some point it's going to be everyone's first time. Yes. They send their kids out into the world or they, you know, encounter um, someone with like less than six feet away, because let's be real here. You know, the distancing stuff is, these are great restrictions and great guidelines. How enforceable they are in an elementary school classroom, I think (laughs) stands to be seen. So like, we all know, like if schools actually open that we are making this, like we are going to be all deciding something. We all have, we don't get the option now of just hunkering down and doing nothing and doing what like they, whoever they are, tell us to do, because right now they isn't really, they're not really telling us to do any one specific thing. Yeah. Uh, It's like, it's, there's a whole array of like menu options. Yeah. Um, So agreed. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Megan, our sponsor, Carnegie Hall Kids, is a free website for kids ages 5 to 12 to learn about music through fun games and quizzes. I'm really excited to tell everybody about their new Sites You Can Hear quiz. This is really cool. It's an online quiz you can do with your kids or they can do on their own, and it plays a piece of music, and then you guess what visual image or scene it sounds like. Our listeners may have heard the name Carnegie Hall because of their live performances, but they might not know about all the educational resources they also have for kids and families on their website. Carnegie Hall Kids ignites imagination in children, offering activities that both encourage musical curiosity and develop knowledge of musical concepts. And did we mention free? If you haven't yet, you're definitely going to want to check out Carnegie Hall Kids Interactive Musical Explorers Around the World Map. It teaches kids different musical traditions like Vietnamese folk, cumbia from Colombia, bluegrass and jazz from the U.S., and more. 
Start the musical journey early and go to kids.carnegiehall.org to check out fun, child-friendly games and quizzes. That's kids.carnegiehall.org. Okay, so before the break, Megan, you mentioned what I had said in that May episode about whenever, if you're not ready now, you're going to be going out into the world someday at some point, if we all agree that this isn't going to last forever. And kind of having empathy for that first time feeling that it's scary to go out of whatever you've decided is your protective bubble. And maybe you're seeing the grandparents for the first time. Maybe you're getting on an airplane for the first time this summer. I know a lot of people who did that. So recognizing that it's uncomfortable when it, whenever it happens and whatever prompts you to make that decision. And I, I want to tie that back to schools because I have to admit, in my mind, it feels simpler if we can just be virtual in the fall. I just moved. I'd like to be right. hunker in at my new home and unpack and get all of our systems down. And it's like a, it's not a great solution, but it's a known solution as opposed to the the unknown feels a little bit scary. And I realize the limitations in my own thinking, because, of course, if we are all virtual, it's not going to be forever. So there is right. like the, um, at some point, yeah, at right. some point we're going to go back. And last week I mentioned that both schools that our kids will attend have laid out really wonderfully thought out plans for small classes and, you know, cleaning protocols and masking. And and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure that's going to happen this August. But what I kind of forgot is it's very likely that whenever we go back, it will look something like that. So the pl- it's not like yeah. the planning has been all for naught. It just might not be what's what we do in in the first reentry this fall. It might be what happens in October or February or whatever it is. So I think that's interesting. And I think um, for this, maybe for the second half of this episode, we can just talk through like the, the main options and kind of what we see as the pros and cons here, virtual homeschool, in-person school. Is there another one? Did I miss one? Well, hybrid, but that's kind of like all the pros and cons of the other ones, right? Combined with (laughs) a very complicated schedule. Can I just say this about hybrid? I think like we said last week, it it's trying to solve for a lot of different variables, like space and facilities and resources. But I have a friend who has three kids potentially in three different like elementary, middle and high school on three different hybrid schedules and taking aside, you know, the safety and all the other concerns. I was like, oh, my gosh, that would that would do a mother in to have like three different um, schedules of days and times that the kids were at school. Anyway, we'll get to hybrid. But that is that's one one thing that isn't even getting talked about a lot is if your kid goes to school half days or three days a week. And then you have a different kid who goes to a different school, different days a week. Oh my gosh. Well, let's start with, let's start with in-person. Okay. Um, because I think that that was the, that was what everyone hoped for originally, right. When this all started and, um, and now we're looking like in some places it's, it's possible. Uh I would say like, we've both said it, it doesn't look very likely that it's going to start that way for probably either of our districts, but we don't know yet. So, um, in-person. Okay. So obviously those of us whose kids are in school and, you know, I know there's a lot of listeners who are homeschoolers and I'm sure they have like a totally different perspective on this, but those of us whose kids are usually in school, we've made that choice for reasons. We have reasons. One of them is probably that we don't want to educate our own kids. Um, another one may be that we work outside the home and suddenly isn't it so fantastic that now it's free. Like I get to send my kids to public school. I don't have to pay out the wazoo for childcare anymore. Um, that's a big factor. Um, there are such benefits to in-person education. Like we talked about that teachers are trained to teach it live Mm -hmm. and kids are the way they're used to socializing in classrooms. I I was reading an article the other day. Um, I think it was Washington post and it was written by an educator and she was saying, just like, imagine a classroom where, and, and this is going to like the, the con side of Mm -hmm. how it would actually look like if, kids were distanced, if kids were masked, if kids were all facing forward. Um, she was saying, just imagine a classroom where you can't lean into your teacher to have them show you how to work a math problem, mm-hmm. a math problem, mm-hmm. or you can't whisper in your, in your friend's ear mm-hmm. at lunch or whatever. Like those are things we are so conditioned to do that we don't even think about mm-hmm. it. And then having that taken away, um, to me feels like it shows just how important that is to the school experience and how not like that mm-hmm. this other version would be. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister-in-law, Jenna, is a teacher, and she has talked about the fact that her kids always sit in groups of four facing mm-hmm. each other. That's how they do the majority of their work. She's a science teacher, so they work on 
you know, collaborative experiments yeah. and collaborative yeah. stuff. And she's like, honestly, I don't know how to teach them all facing forward and not <laughs> collaborating that. Yeah. You know, she'll figure it out. She's a great teacher, but like, that's, that's not what they, <laughs> that's not the deal. Right. Yeah. So those are like the pros the, the pros are the cons. Yes. I think I want to, in person, I want to add another pro, um, and con, you know, another yeah. dual pair here for younger kids. And that is the structure of a school day is often such a gift for children in the four, five, six, seven age range where they really benefit from knowing what to expect at each time of day. And we've we've sung the praises of teachers before at how they're so good at breaking a day or a task or a project into chunks so that children know what to what's expected of them when their next break is, when it's time to sing, when it's time to line up, what you do with your lunchbox after lunch. And it's a lot, I, I don't want to sound complaining here, and I hope that we're not, but it's it's a lot to ask of, of working parents and non-working parents at home to be the sole provider of um, societal rules and expectations right. for our children if we haven't chosen that homeschool option already. Um I think there's such huge benefits. Anyone who sent their kid off to a preschool, especially Montessori, but not just Montessori, knows what it's like when all of a sudden they start like clearing their plate or 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 hanging up their backpack and they're really little, like three or four, or they they roll out their mat when it's nap time and you realize that they're learning these rituals at school and you didn't have to be the one to come up with the ritual. And it's like magical. And maybe because I do love routine and structure so much that I I see that as a plus, but I've seen the benefit to my kids of having that structure and um, in-person schooling. And I I would argue that even a modified in-person instruction with masks and distancing would actually still have that benefit for a lot of kids. For some kids, it may be overwhelming the whole mask thing may be too difficult, but there might be some kids floundering at home who would really benefit from that structured day. So that's another thing yeah. that I think would be a pro. That of. is a pro. That mm-hmm. is definitely in the pro, the pro, um, I don't know, column. Yeah. Um, also, let's just talk briefly about societally, like school is a safe place yes. for a lot of kids. It's a place where um, that might be the only meal yes. or two that a, a, a child gets in a day. They rely on teachers to be their champions yeah. and the safe adult in their lives. And my concern, again, this is one. What this is when the um, the pro becomes the con. My concern is that that will also be at risk. Yep. Like in kind of a like an uncertain way. Um, it just like being able to rely on school for childcare will be at risk if we don't know exactly what happens if there's an outbreak or if there's a case, um, if we don't know what quarantining will look like. And I, I just feel like, you know, and I'm, again, I'm not a politician, but I feel like at the leader level, there needs to be some solutions for this stuff. Because if you're relying on school and you think you can send your kids there and then you go back to work, and then it turns out yeah. there was a, a case. And not only now does your child have to quarantine, but you have to maybe like potentially quarantine or you might get sick. I mean, it just it feels like it starts or the, the kid who was relying on school for their meal. Now there's no place to go because they have to stay home because yeah. they're not well, like whatever it is. Yeah. It feels very tenuous yes. to me. And I I don't like the idea of us relying on something that we can't rely on, which I think is why I am so skeptical. Yep. No, I agree. <laughs> I think that's one of one of the cons this fall in particular, maybe not forever returning to school, but when it's when numbers in many states are going up and community spread is up, um, it doesn't feel like, in fact, I have received some communications from one school where they just said it's not if, but when, like when our school and, and that just feels like, um, for all the pros, the, the disruption in these well thought out systems that everybody's worked really hard to try to open schools safely. I haven't seen, like you're saying, the addressing the disruption that will occur when, not if there is community spread inside a school. So yeah, yeah that's a pretty big con. I mean, if we're, if we're being <laughs> yeah. honest, if we're being honest, that's, and, and I'm laughing, I'm not really laughing, but that's a pretty, that is a really big consideration right now, especially in areas of the country where numbers are going up, not down. So yeah, it's the, it's like the unintended consequences that I think often we want to get behind something that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Like we want to get behind something in theory, but 
But the theory only goes so far because you have to look at reality yep. and there's what we wish was true and there's what's actually true. Oh my gosh, and I have felt so, that. I have felt that so much this past yeah. week with seeing these rosy, you know, optimistic plans for reopening yeah. in these wonderful schools that my kids get to attend and having that dual feeling of like, I want to believe this is possible and I am not sure that it is. So, yeah. <sighs> well, let's talk about virtual. Okay. Um, and again, I, I can go first unless you've got something no, to go say for it. right go away. For but it. so obviously the benefit is that all that uncertainty goes away, yeah. right? Like, you know, a computer will still be in, well, within reasonable, you could reasonably assume you will still have a Wi-Fi connection and a computer in your home um, in September and beyond. And especially if this is being done by, I know each district is going to handle this differently, but if, but if, if it's in your school, you're having like a third party vendor, which is how it looks in mine. Um, then we know that the, that they kind of have it figured out. Mm. Like we know that the education quality is going to be there. It's not going to be people trying to figure out how to do it at the last minute. It's not going to take away from classroom um, funding and the school still gets the money. Like the school mm -hmm. still gets to have that um, student, you know, that student money from the government or taxes. So uh, those are all great pro the yeah. pros. Yeah. The cons are you got kids in the house using up your Wi-Fi all day. <laughs> right. Um, there's still some level of oversight. Yeah. And for a younger kid, you have to actually be in the house to watch them and help them get on the computer, yeah. help them log in. Like there's a lot of parental, if not involvement, oversight that's mm -hmm. still going to have to happen. And I don't want my kids looking at a computer all day. Mm -hmm. And if I had like a kindergartner, I really wouldn't want yep. them looking at a computer all day. So it, oh, and the other thing um, is that at least in, in our district, if we do go with this third party option, it's nice because they've got it all figured out. But the bad thing is that the curriculum doesn't match up. Oh, that's interesting. So we could have like in, you know, we could have a situation where next semester my kids go back and all the classes they took, they count, but oh, they don't get wow. them to the same place. The kids that had the in-person learning. Okay. Got. That's very interesting. So that's a big con for a high schooler. I don't think it really, I, I don't care so much with an elementary or yeah. middle schooler, um, or I wouldn't if I had an elementary school, but for a high school, that's a big deal. Yeah. So I guess those are the cons, the pros and cons as I see them interested if you have yeah. others. I mean, I, I would, I think the ones I would add are maybe cons for not for my personal family. And that's again, where we come back to we're we're all solving for different priorities, but I right. think um, virtual learning for the lower grades is very, very hard and difficult and sad. And I'm just kind of heartbroken about it. So your kinders, your first graders, your pre-K, um, we'll see. I, I mean, second grade is, is Violet this year. It's She's gotten pretty computer savvy. She's She's reading now and she can type a little bit. And so second feels like maybe doable. Third, fourth feels much easier. So a big con to me is early, early education. I'm just like, if you yeah. are out there listening to this, or if you are an early educator, like, I don't know, I don't know how to do that well and, and have it be meaningful for the kids. And it just is, that's a big con for me as the younger kids. Um, and then, you know, dual, dual parent families who work outside the home or who are in essential sectors. Um, how do you, how do you do it? And that's where, right. um, or I, single parent homes. or single yeah. parent homes. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, this is maybe naive here, but I, I have found myself wishing that some of the creativity and innovation that we've been putting toward reopening schools would also, or instead be put into solving childcare and equity issues for families who can't support at-home learning for their child or whose, yeah. whose children aren't safe at home by themselves while their schools are closed. Like, and maybe that's being done. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe I just don't know the full picture, but like you said, safely reopening schools comes with all of these what ifs and those what ifs are affecting certain communities disproportionately. And like, how do you, who's thinking about that, I guess is what I want to yeah. know. And, and is this one of those things where everyone's in their silo and they're so focused on whatever the thing is in front of them that they're not considering this right. bigger thing? Um, yeah. And I'll tell you around here, we have a child care uh, shortage already. Mm -hmm. So if there were something, if there were some reason that they couldn't open the schools and parents had to go to work, there really aren't options. Like right. there's, there's nothing to be done. It's, it's very, um, 
like I said, I think in the last episode, the, the first episode that we did in this series, like it shows the cracks that mm-hmm. we have in the economic system that we have and the necessity of free school mm-hmm. to act as childcare. Now we're seeing <laughs> what, how yeah. that can be problematic um, if school has to go away uh, as we know it. And I don't know what the solutions are to that. Um, but yes, I agree. Like it's alarming. Uh, and I, and I worry that by pushing to have everyone go back to school, we just make it that much more inevitable that the people who really, really need it won't be able to use yeah. it. Yeah. Which is part of the reason I would kind of like to opt out, yeah. frankly. But yeah. Yeah. I would be very curious if we have listeners in communities who are talking about this creatively, like, like, is there childcare available or maybe learning centers available that are socially distanced? Like where are younger kids supposed to go? Whose parents work full time if the schools are closed? Like we have YMCAs um, that have remained open here, but are those YMCAs going to facilitate the home learning provided by the public schools? Like, are they linking up with each other? Uh, That's, those are the questions. And and I fully admit, I, I just haven't looked into it, but I just, I hope that they're being addressed because it's just not, it's not okay to assume that everyone has at home parents. Many of the time it's moms who are available to facilitate learning. It's not, that's not the reality that we live in. So, yeah. And I have a feeling it's going to look like a lot of family care, a lot of, um, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine who has a baby and her mom and mother-in-law are taking care of the baby while she works. And she's like, Neither one of them are thrilled about it. They don't, they didn't want to be childcare, um, mm-hmm. but it's the best option for everybody. And so right now I think people are making a lot of best options, best possible option decisions. Um, I could see maybe teaming up with a couple of friends or yeah. having almost like a co-op situation. And if I don't end up sending my kids to physical school in the fall, um, whether because I can't or because I just decided it's not the right choice. I am lucky enough that I have a few people like that because I will say, even though I'm able to physically be in the house with my kids all day and I could work while they do their thing, I don't think that's the best thing for them. I mean, at some point I have to not pay attention to them and whatever they're doing so that I can retreat into my office and work and, and, uh, or my bed, which is where I'm recording this right now. But that is a reality. And if they're just out there left to their own devices all day, I don't know what they're going to be doing. I don't know that they're going to actually keep up with their schoolwork the way they're supposed to, or, you know, just be screwing around on the internet. So, um, yeah, I think there's going to be, yeah, there's, there's going to have to be some solutions. And I have a feeling if we don't, if they're not handed down to us, Mm -hmm. that people are just going to get really creative and figure it out in their groups of friends. Um, and I would love to hear from listeners about how they're handling that too, because I think that would be interesting. Yeah. So does that bring us to homeschool? Yeah. (laughs) So I have to admit that for the first time last week, it really did occur to me that for Clara, that might be the best option. And I hadn't even considered it up so until define, then. So define homeschool as, as it relates or as it is different from remote learning through your school district for you. Well, in, in Michigan has homeschool laws are pretty lax. Honestly, okay. they're pretty um, homeschool friendly. So it would just literally mean not enrolling her. Okay. And it would mean either kind of having like a, just, you know, a, a loose structure co-oping with someone else, um, maybe buying like an out of the box curriculum that looks good. Like it could look like a lot of different things. The reason I like it better. I was something about Clara's virtual schooling last summer or spring that I found very sad Mm -hmm. in that she was so on, on camera. Like she would sit down in front of the camera. Like she would go get dressed and do her hair and then sit down. And it was like, she was interviewing for a job. That's the only way I can describe it. And it didn't seem like her. It didn't, she morphed into a different human while looking at her teacher and classmates on camera. And I thought there's no possible way. This is how she is all day. Like it's it's not possible when she's in school, she must relax. You know, she must, um, Jenna was saying by the end of the year, she was letting kids turn their cameras off because the kids all felt so awkward staring at each other the whole time. But she was saying there are teachers who won't like who will penalize the kids for not being on camera the whole time. And she's like, I just have a lot of empathy for these awkward seventh and eighth graders who don't want to be like, like on film and Mm -hmm. staring at each other. So I think I would need to know how virtual was going to be delivered before I could make a final judgment Mm -hmm. call about it. And if it looked 
like a lot of Zoom calls. I don't even like doing Zoom calls. Yeah. It just feels, if it looks like, you know, four or five hours a day staring at a computer, um, watching videos or whatever, to me, that is not, that's not the way I want my sixth grader to spend her time. Right. Um, and I don't know that she's emotionally mature yet enough to like figure it out and just roll with it the way I think like William would. Like yeah. if he'd figure out the system figure out how to do enough to get the grade he needs and then figure out how to get some yeah. fun out of the rest of it. I don't know that she would do that. Right. It's like she's so, absorbing all of the hard parts without really benefiting much. Exactly. Right. And I'm not that concerned about her academics in sixth grade. She's really smart. She's a reader. Right. Um, I'm not really worried. I mean, she will fall behind. Yeah. But again, like we keep talking about falling behind. Like, what does that even mean anymore? Like everyone is behind. Everyone's yeah. behind. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. So then. So, okay. So to kind of put a finer point on that, just the, the language we're using homeschool, we're defining as your kid is still learning at home as they would be if they were virtually enrolled in their school. But you've essentially like decided to DIY it yourself or to purchase or enroll in some other kind of like program or curriculum that's not being provided by your public school. So it's interesting because, yeah, because the actual activity the sitting at home, the using a computer, the reading, some of it could look the same, but I think the driving difference here is that, um, you are in, you have more control as a parent choosing the, the way your child learns and how much, and they're not being, they're not being told by their district school, how they will virtually learn. They're probably still virtually learning. Yeah. I'm a little concerned that we live in a district that has high academic standards Mm -hmm. and they know that they let that completely go in, you know, March, April, and May for out of necessity. But there's this sort of tone now that like, you know, we're going to bring St. Joe level learning to virtual. And I'm a little concerned how possible that is and what effects that will have on kids who have a difficult time with that. Clara was stressed, like really stressed last semester. She always thought she was missing something. She would forget to turn things in. Like she was really pretty scattered. And I am concerned that that would lead to her not doing well academically and create more stress. And who needs it? Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) If she's going to be home anyway, who needs it? Like, I would almost rather that was up to me. Like, I get to decide what assessments there are, if any. Right. And it doesn't penalize her and she doesn't feel penalized by it. I feel like it could um, it could just take a a layer of stress out of the situation. Yeah. So, well. Let yeah. me speak to a couple pros that I see. And I, I forgot to mention this with virtual, so I'll just lump them together because I think these this would be a pro of either virtually enrolling in your local school or of homeschooling. And that is that we have had six months to improve our technologies and our systems. Yeah. And even if you do virtually enroll in your local public school, I am hopeful that the delivery methods will be smoother, that the chaos of like, please mute yourself. First graders, please mute yourself. Like we gotta have yes. figured some of this out. And even if it's not perfect, I do believe it's going to be smoother. So that I think is a pro. And then on the homeschooling side, the number of things that have popped up, the enrichment opportunities I talked about, like whatever great courses or online tutoring. And, you know, some of these come with a higher cost. Others are, can be free or very inexpensive. I do think a pro is that there have been a lot of smart people working on this for the last six months, and we're going to have a different array of options available to us this fall, both through our local schools and then also if we were homeschooling. So I see that as yeah. a positive and our kids are more computer savvy. They know how to use Zoom. Um, so I see I see that as a pro. Um, and then another pro I would mention for homeschooling goes back to the con that I you know, hammered home about virtual. And that is our youngest learners. Um, I think if I had four five and six year olds, I would seriously consider homeschooling, um, for myself because what I believe about early childhood education and what those kids really thrive doing, um, is not delivered on a screen. Um, so, so I think homeschool could be great if you have the flexibility. And again, we come back to childcare and these other challenges, but if you have the flexibility, I think, and I'm using homeschool in big quotes because I think for four five and six year olds, they just really need a lot of play and some experiential learning and some structure to their day and chores and jobs and outside time. And so it wouldn't even really be very academic if it were in the Sarah Powers homeschool. So I think that could be, yeah, no, I agree. I think, yeah. And for some parents that that could feel like it could feel like a fun project or opportunity. If you, if you have 
that ability and flexibility. Um, it could feel like a, a, almost like something with purpose. Like my move gave me yeah. purpose this summer, like something like that yeah. I have to do. So I could see that being a pro for some families too, just diving into a homeschool adventure. And I think some people are feeling, uh, feeling that way about it. And I feel like too for, well, you know, we've both, I think both you and I have had like latent homeschool fantasies and um, maybe it's a chance to indulge. Um, but also I, given the choice, and I think you're totally right that if it was like, if it was four five, six, seven year olds I was talking about, this wouldn't even be like a discussion. It would yeah. be they are homeschooled for sure. Because I don't, I just wouldn't see the benefit um, of virtual being high enough yeah. to make up for like what you lose. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that the choice is between homeschool and virtual, yeah. but even at Clara's age, you know, there's, when you're talking about the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the burden on mm -hmm. a parent, there's all different kinds of burdens. Time burden is one. Um, and emotion, an emotional burden is the mm -hmm. other. And I would way rather have a time burden. And I do have the option of, I have more time that I can put into, like, I do have some time than an, an emotional burden mm -hmm. because the emotional burden is with you always. And I can't let it go. So like, if I know that I'm here working and in the other room, my 11 year old is suffering or struggling, or I know that at the minute I have a moment, like a free moment and I can go talk to her, she's going to dump yeah. all of her stresses and anxieties on me. And then I have to deal with it. That to me is like worse than if I have to spend an extra hour a day getting really organized and figuring this stuff out. Yeah. Like it just, and, um, it is kind of like a trade-off, like what you have more of right now, yep. capacity wise time yep. or, or energy or emotional energy or mental energy or whatever it is. It's like that becomes part of the equation too. And, um, yeah, I could see it depending on your kid's personality. The other thing I think is really important to talk about is with all this talk about socialization, homeschool families already have that figured out. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. That's so, like a myth of the past that homeschool. Right. Family, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's important, even when we're talking about kids and their social skills and the things that they learn by being in a classroom, it's important to mention that they don't, they, they have opportunities to learn that other than in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And that with some creativity, um, they could have that, like you yeah. could, you could provide that to them. And also that when we talk about kids not socializing right now, we're not just talking about the fact that they're not going to school. We're talking about the fact that they're not going to the grocery store. Yeah. They're not seeing human beings with yeah. their eyeballs the same way. <laughs> yeah. they, they're not interacting. The mailman won't come near anybody like you know, stuff like that. You know, it's the way we interact has changed so drastically. It's not just about schools being closed. It's about the way everything has changed. And so the answer can't just be school either. Like the, the, the problem isn't just that school closed. And so the solution isn't just schools opening back up. Right. There's other things that, that are eventually going to get back to something looking like normal. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, how do we work with what we got? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of where I feel maybe hopeful, um, that I I'm hopeful that a distanced fall doesn't look like a distanced spring 2020. Yeah. Um, agreed. And, and that our, our resources and our, what we've learned about all this can be applied at the, at the macro level and at the micro level to solve for, you know, so many of these challenges, even, even as we have to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So, right. Um, yeah. I feel like it's time to wrap up, of course, but I, we always love hearing from you. And in particular, when we tackle big topics like this. So if you've never emailed us before, we're just hello at the momhour.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and we read all your emails and all your comments on social, of course. But Megan, I do feel like we could revisit this in about a month or six weeks when almost everybody's fall has been decided one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe talk about what we're doing in our families, but also like, how are we going to make this happen? Cause so much of yeah. last week's episode and this week is still hypothetical. It's, um, and it's all just us complaining, really. Yeah. We're not offering any solutions because um, we don't know what they would be yet. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. if, if you all think that would be a good idea, we'd love to hear from you. And maybe in a couple months in early September or something, we'll just check back in about, about all this. So this has yeah. been great and we would love to hear from you and, as always, the show notes are at themomhour.com. Um, I can't think of anything we'd link up for these episodes, but if we do, we will we will put them there. And that's themomhour.com. And we will talk to everybody soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. 
Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening and left the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.